You're listening to Two Guys Talking Wine with Michael Pincus and Andre Pru. I'm Andre Pru from underwinereview.ca. You're not not as good, Andre. I'm just I'm just repeating it. We had a conversation off the air, and Andre's wrong. I'm Michael Pincus from MichaelPincusWineReview.com. I am going to stand my ground and say that I am going to stand by what I said earlier. And I'm, I think I'm going to have to stand my ground on this podcast, too. This one should be interesting because apparently I have a reputation uh, for my opinion of New Zealand Sauvignon Blanc. It's about time you get a reputation <laughs> or, or an opinion. How about that? One of the two. Oh, oh, there's a there's a good burn there. I have opinions. I'm tired of giving you your opinions. <laughs> I form my own opinions. Um, so we're we're talking New Zealand and actually really funny. Uh, uh, Robert Ketchen, who uh, represents uh, Wines New Zealand here in Ontario and in Canada, if I'm not mistaken, uh, came up to me and said, uh, your friend Andre's in a lot of trouble. <laughs> and I said, Robert, what did, what did he do? And he said, uh, there's Sauvignon Blanc here. Yeah. Uh, you know, this was an, an, another, uh, this is a review of another great, uh, trade show in the city. And I, I really do like tasting wines at the ROM and, uh, there was the right amount of people. I don't know. Once again, I went to the consumer portion and you were at the trade portion in the afternoon. Trade portion. You know what? Uh, here's something I will, I will talk to the trade about and I'll say it briefly. Uh, something like California drags in 1100 people, which is way too many. And New Zealand had, from what I understand, a boatload of people said yes, and about 40% didn't show up. Toronto, step up your game. Either RSVP that you're going to go and go, RSVP that you're not going to go, and if you're not going to go, God damn it, send somebody a note to say you're not, because there are people sitting on a fucking waiting list. All right, I'm done. Yeah, no, I mean, that's uh, that's definitely fair criticism. I mean, on, on top of that, also, as a courtesy to the organizers, um, I mean, if you're working in the trade, if you're working for a restaurant and you're RSVPing to these and not showing up, um, just imagine that table that didn't show up for the reservation at your restaurant in that evening. Somebody told me there is a restaurant in Toronto now. Uh, when, you book, when you book your reservation, it takes $50 on your credit card. And if you don't show up, you'll bill it. I mean, it's it's a problem, but I guess the problem goes on both sides. But anyway, it was uh, it was pretty annoying. Although there was a lot of elbow room, so I guess thanks for not showing up, you bastards. <laughs> so where do we want to where do we want to start with this? Well, uh, I mean, there was there was a lot of Sauvignon Blanc, but uh, I was actually pleasantly surprised. You were, and and now you want to. You and I got into a big debate. Which you know what we we really should wear uh, mics uh, on our lapel. Yeah. And uh, when we go to the vintages tastings on a Friday, we really should hit record on uh, on these mics because we get into some really heated debates, and then we say, "Oh, save it for the podcast," and we never get to that level of ire with each other or irksomeness, if you prefer. Yeah, and I mean the other thing is uh, we're. Generally on a timeline, I'm usually in a hurry to uh, get to get to news talks. So I taste as many wines as I can in, in the morning. But we did have you did we did, had an interesting discussion that gave me some food for thought because um, I'm not a fan of the very underripe style of Sauvignon Blanc coming from New Zealand. And I mean, you pointed out that it's a style they wear it as a badge of honor, but I think the pendulum has almost swung 
too far where you get a lot of wines that smell and taste like green peppers, asparagus, green peas. Like they taste like vegetables and there isn't a ton of fruit to go with that. But that's that's where that's the New Zealand style. It's the big three G's. It's gooseberry. It's grassy and it's grapefruit. That is New Zealand Sauvignon Blanc. And then you can get those, you know, the grassiness comes off as asparagus. It comes off as green pea. It comes off as green pepper. But it is that herbaceous kind of thing. And you don't like it. But I, that's not true, though. The thing and is, then you shit all over Sauvignon Blanc. That's and it's and you go, I like the stuff from California. Well, it's a completely different growing region, a completely different okay, okay. style. Stop. Just stop. Now you're putting words in my mouth because I've talked about my love of Ontario Sauvignon Blanc. There's not enough of it. And I love Chilean Sauvignon Blanc. And I love Sancerre. I mean... I'm surprised you like Chile because Chile at some point is copying New Zealand. But not to that extreme. I mean, as someone who is a card-holding a card holding member of the ABC Club, uh, would are you would you not be concerned that there's a bit of a, a a cult of personality forming within New Zealand for these wines that let's just see how far to the extreme we can take it? Because I'm telling you, some of these wines that are working their way to the market in Ontario, they're not even trying to ripen the fruit anymore. And I get when you're talking about gooseberry and grassiness and grapefruit, but the, these wines don't bring any fruit to the bottle anymore. It's it's straight up underripe. Uh, you know, mushed up green peas. Suddenly, grapefruit is not a fruit anymore. It's but, the, but there's no like grape. The but there's no grapefruit in these wines. There's no grapefruit sure in these is. wines. It's absolutely not. Note. That's absolutely not. It's vinegar and and green peas. Oh my god. I'm sorry. When you when your citrus flavors are, are so far eclipsed by the vegetal flavors of the wines, like it, it's it's just it's not good wine. It's not good winemaking. Again, I've told you before, Andre. If you're gonna spout an opinion, wait till I give it to you, and then you can spout that one. I'm, I'm standing by this one. Now, that being said, there were a lot of great wines at this trade event, and it seems like the fruit is coming back to the New Zealand Sauvignon Blanc. There's some wines I'm really looking forward to to purchasing when they make it to the shelf. Well, all right. Since we've uh, obviously exhausted this argument, because I'm not going to win, you're not going to win against Chardonnay and me, and I'm obviously not going to be able to convince you that Sauvignon Blanc has that characteristic in New Zealand that it's supposed to. No, 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 no. I mean, I think you've, you've missed the point of what I'm saying. I understand that those characteristics exist. It's the same thing with a green pepper note that you get in a bottle of Cabernet Franc from Ontario. And let's face it, in a cooler... But you shouldn't. That's underripe. Uh, that's not true. That's that's totally a, a characteristic of the varietal. If you go to the Loire Valley, you get green pepper every year. The Which thing is, is underripe! Yes, but you also get fruit to go with that. When it's good Cabernet Franc, it's it's a little There's bit of red pepper and, and a lot of fruit. Tobacco. There's not green pepper. That's underripe fruit. No, it's it's not. It's it's okay to it's get like it's like petrol in a young Riesling. Petrol in a young Riesling means burnt fruit. Two year old bottle of Riesling should not have petrol notes. It just means fruit that is gone through a very hot vintage. Okay, but there's a difference between having elements of that and and I'm. I'm going to disagree with you and say that there are, it's okay to have green pepper in your Cabernet Franc. And that's a varietal characteristic and it's not just underripe fruit. So now we bring it to the people. Let's see what people have to say. I love when we have these little things and we put them on the Facebook. We put them on the Twitter, the Facebook. Jeez, oh, I hate when I do that. Put them <laughs> on Facebook, put them on Twitter. I want to hear from you and they're going to side with me, Andre, and you're going to lose yet another one. Okay. That'll get me three and oh. Okay, but 
here's the bottom line that I just want to say about the, the New Zealand Sauvignon Blanc is I feel like the pendulum has swung so far that it feels like winemakers are trying to get away with with completely underripe fruit to amplify those characteristics that the market has fallen in love with. And I think it's gone too far. And it's nice to see a little bit of balance coming back. And there were a lot of really great wines that had more balance to them rather than pure vegetal notes. All right. What were your top three then? What are my top three? Okay. Uh, Sauvignon Blanc. Whatever you like. Uh, Actually, two of my three were Sauvignon Blanc. I really like the Lovelock Sauvignon Blanc. It was a lot of really great citrus notes. It was a lot of great grapefruit notes. Um, I mean, because I do know what a grapefruit tastes like, Michael. And uh, pink or yellow, Andre. Uh, it was pink, Michael. And uh, it was uh, a nice grassy note, like the note of uh, freshly cut hay. If you've ever been in a in a barn, um, I mean, it was just a really well Wait, put together wine. What are you saying about me, Andre? <laughs> I don't know, Michael. Why don't you tell me what one of your top three wines are? No, I heard that barn comment, and I think that was was leveled at me. Well, Did you grow up in a barn. I mean, everyone knows that you were raised in a barn. Did you finish your top three? No, finish- that was just my first one. Um, my second favorite was a Sephora Sparkling Rosé. Uh, it was very dry, but something about the Pinot Noir in that room, the Pinot Noir Rosé, it just had this candied note to it, like maraschino cherry, uh, you know, fruit roll-ups. But when you put that wine in your mouth, it doesn't have any of that cloying sweetness that you remember. Uh, I mean, these sort of fruit-based snacks tasting like. Um, I mean, it's just something satisfying about getting something that smells sweet but tastes dry and, and, and refreshing on the palate. And my third wine was uh, the Greywalkie Wild Sauvignon. It's a wild fermented Sauvignon Blanc. Uh, it was it just had so much depth to it, like a, a creaminess, uh, a mineral note, you know, like a just a whole lot of tropical fruit. Uh, guava, passion fruit. Um, I just, I, I can't say enough good things about that wine. Greywacky does make good wines. That's yeah, Kevin yeah. Judd, if I'm not mistaken, is it not? But that wild Sauvignon was outstanding. Wow. Two Sauvignon. Well, here's here's some interesting stuff for you. My top three uh, vary and, and obviously differ. And uh, first of all, I do want to give a shout out to a wine that I had during um, one of the seminars I went to, and it was a Nautilus Chardonnay. Uh huh. Just saying. Tell me more. Oh, it was just really good. It was really, really good. That's all. I I don't want to get too much into it because uh, I don't know if it's coming to Ontario. Might come May twenty seventh, but it was just really good. I noticed that you've stopped reviewing Chardonnay quite so frequently on your uh, on your website and in your newsletter that people can sign up for at michaelpickuswinereview.com. And I'm I'm thinking it's just you were worried that someone was actually going to come to your house with a subpoena and make you uh, tear up your ABC card. Well, no, I just uh, I have I have Chardonnays in the hopper. I just uh, thought I'd spread the love around a little more. Other grape varieties. So just thought I would do that. Uh, as you know, I also am not a fan of Pinot Gris, but I did like the Lawson's Dry Hills 2006 Pinot Gris. Uh, it just had a really pleasant, refreshing, good acidity, and some mandarin right there in the middle. 
I don't know why, but I think New Zealand's next white grape should be Pinot Gris. I, I think they really do something different with it that um, that we don't see in other places, especially in Pinot Grigio. I, I know. I mean, well, we've had a few uh, Pinot Gris from BC come through the, the Vintages Tasting Panel, and it's just a little bit more heat, uh, really amplifies some fruit flavors. I mean, P Pinot Gris is still a little bit, let's say, more subtle. I think you've used the word boring before. Boring and bland would uh, be my big big one. But yeah. I think with some of those subtleties, it is interesting how it does ref reflect terroir. Yeah, I think it does have something. and it, it is obviously part of the Pinot family. Uh, but, you know, I just find it very bland and boring for the most part. But New Zealand seems to have something special, and I and I and I kind of dig it. Kind of dig it. What was your third wine? Uh, my second. Well, okay, because I just give a shout out briefly to the Nautilus. I was just uh, wanted to throw that out there. My second wine, uh, although I will agree with you that the rosés in the room were really good, uh, I did have one that stood heads and tails above the rest, and that was the Teapaw, uh, 2016. It uh, is Pinot Noir with, uh, believe it or not, 10% uh, Pinot Gris added. Wow. Yep. And uh, it's just uh, lovely dry strawberry. There was a touch of spice that uh, was really, really interesting, um, which because they do a, a six to eight week ferment in oak. So it, it develops a little bit of that spicy character from the barrel. And uh, it's just light. It's lovely. It's just one of those rosés that you could while away the hours of the summer with uh, and which is really interesting because that's the second uh, New Zealand rosé that I've been totally enamored with this uh, uh, this coming summer let's say well yeah what was it was the king's desire that uh, Morisco yeah uh, just a, a fabulous rosé so New Zealand's you know they're dialing in on on what rosé should be uh, uh, yeah I definitely agree with that I mean there was a lot of great rosé in in that room but you uh before we hit record made me pick a top three because i think four five and six would all be rosé <laughs> yeah they would just and then i and then i was uh, i was kind of um at a loss for my third wine uh because there were some great wines in the room but to try and you know as you said narrow it down to just three was difficult so i kind of tied for third just to be different and it was from the same winery babbage wines uh, 2016 Black Label Sauvignon Blanc and their 2015 Black Label Pinot Noir. Both wines exceptionally good. Tell me more. Oh, you uh, didn't know if you wanted, wanted to know. Uh, that, uh, that Sauvignon Blanc, a lot of the tangerine grapefruit with uh, just a, a hint of vanilla that comes from, again, 10% of the wine goes into oak. And then uh, on the finish, that grapefruit pith finish that just you know kind of adds a little bit of bitterness to that wine instead of it being all that nice uh, uh that nice citrus fruit just that bitterness kind of drags it all back down to earth and speaking of earth there's the that pinot noir it's just pretty floral black cherry great acidity juicy uh mid palate right through to a dry finish uh, it's just you know one of those wines that again you could probably sit on chill a little bit and while away the evening you can have some Pinot Noir Rosé in the afternoon and flip uh, flip the dial and go uh, straight Pinot Noir at night. 
You know, it is almost a little bit of irony because, as I said at the beginning of the podcast, I have a reputation for my view on Sauvignon Blanc that two of the three of my preferred wines were Sauvignon Blanc, but I generally go straight to the Pinots, and there was some really great Pinot Noir there. I think the real takeaway from this event, and if you haven't been, it's worth checking out, is to see that there is a lot more to New Zealand than just Sauvignon Blanc. It is, and Pinot is their, their red grape of choice, but uh, there's so many other interesting things um, that they're making uh, there. I, there was a great Riesling uh, on some of the tables. There was yep. some Gewurztraminer. Yep. Uh, and I can't Chardonnay. Remember. What was that? Chardonnay. Chardonnay. Their Chardonnay is very good. Nice mineral driven Chardonnay for the most part. Oh, and, and then uh, Astrolab had an Albirino. Yes, they did. Which, you know, that's one of those wines where you get to the table and you're looking and you go, uh, is this a misprint? So. Well, there we go. Do you want to wrap this up? Or is there anything else you wanted to say? Hey, I suppose we hey, did, we've yelled at each other long enough. Did they have food at the at the trade portion? Uh, a little bit of yeah, a little bit. Did he get a chance to walk around with a um, uh, what was it? A rib, a lamb. Wait, a piece of rack of lamb, like a popsicle stick. Oh, good lord! It's it, okay. It's fairly oh, late at night like while we're recording lollipop. this. Yeah, lamb lollipop. Oh man! As Dean Tudor calls them, lamb lollipops. No, uh, ours, we, we had some chicken skewers, we had some veggie wraps, we had some cheese, crackers. It's more of a, more downscale as far as the food goes, because it's, you know, for the trade portion, it is all about the wine. Whereas the, um, uh, the consumer portion obviously puts an emphasis on wine and food, because there is actually shekels being shecked out. Fair enough. Shelled out. Yes. All in all, great event. It was uh, it was nice to be put in my place on uh, on Sauvignon Blanc, and um, I have a feeling we need to revisit this Cabernet Franc the discussion that we had earlier. Cause I can't believe we brought it back to that. Oh well, I, I'm always ready to debate you about Cabernet Franc. I'll we make sure get, that I get you a good bottle. Should, you know of who we should get? Who? We should grab a couple of winemakers for that one. Uh, so on notice, uh, Brian Schmidt would be one of mine. If I had to pull somebody in, uh, into top cab front. And you know what? I'll call in, uh, David Johnson from Featherstone, who I think is very underrated as a Cabernet Front winemaker. I, I don't know if he'll agree with you, but you can call him in. Well, hopefully he'll make some time for us. We have Brian Schmidt and David Johnson on notice for a Cabernet Front discussion date to be determined. All right, guys. I hope you're listening. That's that's who we're calling in. The Cab Franc police. Well, we've got to stop recording these so late at night because I think we're one step away from getting a little silly. Yeah, and you got you gotta stop uh you gotta stop drinking during them, and I gotta stop sucking on lemonade. As always, you can subscribe <laughs> to this podcast on iTunes. Tell your mother, tell your father, tell your wife, tell your husband. Tell your children. Tell your sister. Tell your brother. If they're of legal age. And yeah. uh, subscribe on iTunes. Leave us a review. Direct angry phone calls towards Michael Pincus. Yeah, whatever. I'm Andre Proof from AndreWineReview.ca. And I'm Michael Pincus from MichaelPincusWineReview.com. As always. And as always. Good night. Good night. Thanks for listening. Please subscribe to Two Guys Talking Wine on iTunes. <laughs>